late start. We had a very robust uh, QPSC meeting that took us over just a little bit, so I apologize. Um, so if I could have the clerk call the roll, please. Trustee Lawrence. Here. Trustee DeVrice. Here. Trustee Hernandez is absent. Trustee Benergy. Here. Trustee Charlin. Here. Trustee Jensen. Here. And dialing in is Trustee Thompson. Here. Trustee Zorinkin. Here. We have a quorum. Oh, okay. Trusty Thompson is here. Okay, thank you. Thanks for checking in. And um, I will open the meeting with, with um, the open session. And one of the things that this board really enjoys is seeing the employee recognition. And so um, we're very delighted that we have so many people here tonight that that get to deserve that are deserving of our uh, of this recognition. So please, who's Who's to start? Good afternoon, everyone. I'm lucky enough to uh, introduce uh, three of our members for recognition. I'm going to ask uh, Lorene to come up. She is a uh, medical assistant in cardiology. This is Lorene Helms. I figured it'd be more fun reading it to her, right? So Lorena is described as one of our amazing medical assistants in the cardiology department. And I know you like stories, so several weeks ago, she was discharging a patient in the cardiology clinic. This is an elderly woman who uh, came from quite far and by bus. Lorene noticed that this patient was scheduled for an echocardiogram the next morning, of course, making it necessary for her to make the long trip back. So what did Lorene do? She contacted her manager to see if there was any way to squeeze this patient in since she was already here in the clinic as the echo schedule was booked solid. The necessary accommodations were made to squeeze the patient into the schedule so she could avoid the unnecessary time and expense of an additional visit. And you can imagine the patient was incredibly grateful and happy. Not only did this typify how the cardiology department works as a team, but that Lorene is instrumental in building that teamwork to make the dream work happen. It was clear that she wasn't only thinking with her head, but also with her heart. So this is only one example, but Lorene consistently not only assists patients, but also is well known in other areas of the organization, even working overtime in these areas to help other teams get through their staffing times and ensuring our patients get the timeliest access no matter where they're seen. She exemplifies her daily mission. So we're proud to have her in the cardiology department and here at Highland for her compassion and skills shine bright. Congratulations. Okay, next up. We have Joy Jugarap, who is our evening EVS supervisor. I'm surprised the nurses aren't standing and clapping for this woman. She does great. Joy came to Highland with background in the hospitality industry. Joy works the PM shift supervising discharges. Her work has proven to be exceptional. 
She is committed to always doing a great job and service for our patient, visitors, and staff. This is where I give you a bunch of quotes. Joy's demeanor is always pleasant and always has a can-do attitude. Rosola Pistonis, one of our nursing supervisors, describes Joy as consistently notifying all floors when room stats are done, constantly rounding on the floors looking for dirty beds, and rolling up her sleeves to help her crew when there are many beds to be cleaned. I want to clone Joy. <laughs> Robbie Massengay, a nurse manager here at Highland writes, this is the type of supervisor that will elevate the entire EVS department to another level. Even Fei-Fei Takami, a nursing director, agrees. Since Joy has started at Highland, she does her job happily with enthusiasm, and when she is short of staff, she personally steps in and nimbly redirects her resources while participating with her staff to make sure the beds are clean in a timely manner. Joy is a true role model for all of us at Highland Hospital. Congratulations, Joy. And finally, I have Isaac Robinson, who's a food service worker, so many of you may already know him. Uh, where's Isaac? Are you coming up? So a little bit about Isaac. Isaac is an associate who came to AHS looking for a part-time dishwashing job and has opened himself up to many opportunities that came his way. Whether it's setting up a catered event for the Board of Trustees here today uh, and many more, such as making salads for our customers and clients. He takes over as a cashier uh, when we need him. Each guest has a great experience at the HCP Cafe, uh, placing orders to make sure all product is in the house for service. Isaac will always make sure all his coworkers are ahead of the game every day. In Isaac's eye, no man is ever left behind. He's the epitome of teamwork. You are surely to be greeted each day with a star-winning smile, shall we? Okay. <laughs> to all that he meets. <laughs> his smile and actions embodies his belief in our mission statement of caring, healing, and serving all. Proud to have to present this award to Isaac. And that concludes the Highland Stars. Good afternoon, trustees. Um, it's my pleasure today to recognize uh, Saha from Alameda Hospital. Saha, can you join me, please? Thank you. All right, good. So I'm going to read a citation that was put together by uh, Mike Zerzicki, who is the facilities leader for the system. Um, it reads, I would like to recognize Saha for outstanding commitment and dedicated service to Alameda Hospital. Saha originally was hired in engineering at Highland and moved to Alameda unexpectedly to fill the chief engineer void due to an unexpected vacancy with the previous incumbent. This was at a time that joint commission inspection was imminent and staff attrition had left the department with just three employees. This was a very stressful situation and Saha worked tirelessly to prepare the facility and support the departments for the survey. In addition, Saw has um, worked. In addition, Saw has responded to emergencies at the facility at all hours of the night, weekend, etc. Many times, working well over 12 hours a day, and/or seven days a week, to ensure that we can provide the appropriate environment of care for patient care support. 
Some examples in the recent past are the HVAC retrofit of the operating room, which I have had the opportunity to speak to the trustees about. Um, the roof leaks that developed after the most recent severe drought and then we had the big storms, and special projects to replace aged infrastructure and many more activities throughout the last year. I believe SAW is an outstanding employee who is fully invested and dedicated to make our facility successful regardless of what it takes. He inspires his staff, his direct manager, and many others, including me, at the facility to go above and beyond the call of duty. I would love to recognize Saw for all of this hard work and the positive impact he has made in Alameda and for the Alameda Health System. Thank you. Okay. Next, I'd like to ask Michael Moore to join me. Michael is a CT tech at San Leandro Hospital, and I'm going to read the citation that was put together by Marissa Cossi, who is his director. Michael is an incredible team player with a very positive attitude. Michael has led the effort to change the inpatient and, and OR ordering, ordering process for images. By changing the process, radiology was able to expedite the care of our patients. Prior to this change, the process could take up to five to 10 minutes to replace the message that was sent and utilized additional paper and time. Michael omitted the middle person, and now the ED and the nurses are ordering directly. In order to ensure a smooth process for the ED and the nursing units, Michael built procedures and shortcuts in Meditech to allow um, ED and nursing units to quickly find the procedures in the Meditech exam dictionary. He also spent numerous hours working on the units with the ward clerks and the ED staff to assist with the new ordering process. Michael worked with the physicist and the radiologist to submit certification for a pediatric ACR, which is the American College of Radiology accreditation. This is the first time that San Leandro has had pediatric certification with the ACR. Having this certificate ensures that when the Joint Commission surveys our facility, we can state that we have the technical ability and the CT protocols to provide safe scanning for all pediatric patients. Michael has also implemented patient work lists in the surgery department with the surgical CRMs. With this implementation, patient demographics go immediately to the C-arm work list electronically, and there is no manual inputting of patient demographics, reducing patient errors. <coughs> Michael has been to the lean classes that are provided by the OLA team here at the system and uses the 5S methodology in creating a storage area that is now clean, organized, and will facilitate just-in-time ordering of supplies for the radiology department to ensure that we do not over-order supplies. Michael is a safety champion. He did an outstanding job teaching and training hospital staff on the hovermat operation. Prior to Michael implementing training, the radiology staff didn't know where the hovermats were stored or how to utilize the product. We now utilize the hovermat at least twice a week for our radiology patients. Michael will always make himself available to assist the other units with this training. And for that, we say thank you. Photo up. <laughs> We'll do it. All right. Thank you all. Oh. Thank you all. Good evening. I get the honor of recognizing two of our stellar stars in our post-acute environment. I'd first like to invite Lloyd Ejanowski from our Park Ridge facility in Alameda. 
Loida is one of our certified nursing assistants who was, uh, we recently received a letter from one of the sons of a family member. Uh, in his acknowledgement, he states uh, about Loida, which we're all glad that he recognized, uh, that Loida is dependable, compassionate, and caring with his mother. She always makes sure his mother is comfortable, that she looks good, and that all her needs are met. In addition, Loida goes above and beyond and is always making sure that my mother is happy, content, and I attribute her joy in the facility for the direct care that she's giving at Parkridge. We are all thankful for all you do, and congratulations, Loida. Next, from our Fairmont campus, we have Jeanette Karinas, who's one of our CN2 nurses. Jeanette was recognized by um, her supervisor, Bridget, who's here, and Jeanette Wright, uh, excuse me, Bridget Wright, that Jeanette is one of our night nurses, who is a shift team leader on Unit B2. She demonstrates patient-centered, compassionate care and is a role model to her staff. She mentors others and creates an inclusive work environment. She consistently elevates safety and quality issues to leaders and makes recommendations for improvements. She works well with the team across shifts to provide a consistent continuum of care for the residents. She seeks out additional responsibilities and creates processes and workflows that increase quality, safety, and productivity of the unit. She creates supportive documentation to track new processes and use as handoff communication to enhance quality and patient experience. She's a joy to have at Fairmont, and we're very lucky to have you on our team. Thank you very much, Jeanette. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I am very pleased uh, this evening to offer this uh, recognition. I first, before I read this, um, I would like to just briefly give context. Um, as we all know, you, you, you choose to recognize employees oftentimes for stellar achievement and things above and beyond the call of duty. Sometimes there are, there are employees who are just the fabric of our community. And to say that about someone who's been here for 30 years is an understatement. So in thinking about how we wanted to recognize uh, Mr. Melvin Johnson, we couldn't have enough pages and reams of paper to categorize all that he has done. So I just want to recognize that, um, by and large, he is a, a stellar employee that's been a part of AHS, as he said, from the beginning. That being said, on behalf of John George Psychiatric Hospital, we would like to formally recognize Mr. Melvin Johnson, who is a mental health specialist. For over 30 years, and I will not tell his age, he looks wonderful at this point. When I grow up, I want to <laughs> Mr. Johnson has been an integral part of this organization. Many of the employees or his colleagues have worked with Melvin and supported individuals within the community throughout his tender, tenure as he has remained steadfast and committed within the organization. He's seen as a role model and is not only a historian for our team, provides insight on a daily basis, so much that he has become an example of what a role model is on our unit and for all of us. 
As a member of the team on uh, John George's psychiatric unit, Unit D, his co-workers view him as a face of reassurance and stability each time he is on the unit. No task is too difficult for Melvin to handle. And he's been an invaluable member of AHS and uses his steadfast presence to provide support to his team. His patients know that he's always there and without question, he seeks to address the most complicated situation with focus and with humor that belies the 30 years he's been with the organization. Melvin Johnson is a mental health specialist who is greatly appreciated and honored by all and it has been an honor and a privilege to work with him. Congratulations. And I think it would be remiss not to allow his, uh, the nurse manager who has worked with him for many, many years, Lawrence Gieda, to provide a little bit. Thank you very much. Um, I don't know where to start. When I started in Unity as a manager, I met him there. Um, like he just read, he is a face of reassurance on the floor. When they go and get tough, people keep asking, we may even be here today. If you happen to work in a psychiatric facility, there are times when the unit becomes very hot. When you have a bunch of one-to-ones, three one-to-one, four one-to-one on one single unit, it is tough. But when you see this guy standing at the middle of that unit, you know safety, everything is calm. He Sometimes, when I look at him sometimes, I say to myself, it's almost like a rock at the middle of a lake, too cold to feel the hotness of the sun. That is Melvin Johnson. Um, I don't know how to, like uh, my boss just said, there are so many things we have to say about him, but we just don't know, we don't know where to start from. The, the only thing I can just say here is loyalty. He's very loyal. Loyal to the organization, and very gentle towards patients. Thank you. Well then, uh, Melvin, Jeanette, Loida, Michael, Sa, Isaac, Joy, and Lori. Um, on behalf of this Board of Education, we want to thank you. Oh, excuse me, excuse me. I do this every time. On behalf of this hospital board and the trustees. My goodness. Oh, I don't want to take your thunder because of my stupid mistakes. But thank you for your caring and serving all. You, you really do make us proud. Thank you so very much for your contributions to this organization. Thank you. Uh, and I know that we have, I know that we have some um, celebration goodies someplace, perhaps in another room. So you're more than welcome to stay and hear the board meeting, or you can, in fact. Uh, go and enjoy yourselves in, uh, I mean, not that this isn't enjoyable. <laughs> uh, I'm going to move to, is there any other open comments for public session? Do we have anything for public session? Um, no, I do not. Okay, thank you. Uh, I'll move then to the board president report. I would just like to, um, Trustee Jensen notified me that we had uh, Kinsey, who is um, speaking in front of a large group, and because of her success, we she was able to bring us $5,000 to the foundation. We want to thank, oh, so you were going to mention that too, huh? <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. So thank you so much. Uh, we understand you were absolutely dynamic, so thank you so much.
I'm going to save other things. I'm going to concede my time because I think the doctors had some issues they wanted to raise. So I will, I will save that for that conversation. Um, we'll now go into the uh, consent agenda. And do I have a recommendation for approval of the minutes? So moved. Second. Any discussion? Okay, all those in favor? Aye. Thank you. Um, we'll go then to um, the medical staff reports. And I think there were some conversations or the reports that the doctors wanted to make. You're, you're on. Do uh, you want to start with you, Dr. Hearn? Um, sure. I think that uh, the reports, um, I mentioned a lot in the QPSC about uh, medical staff wellness and burnout in alignment with beta heart. Um, perhaps in the open session, uh, a more interesting conversation is about um, representation on the board of trustees by uh, members of the medical staff. We've been tasked as uh, chiefs to come up with um, uh, a process for the medical staff representation on the board. And at this point, there's some, we've, we've, we've been unable to come up with a, a process because each at each of our MECs, if I might paraphrase, each of our MECs um, feel as though we would have difficulty representing um, each medical staff in that the core MEC, if somebody only works here at the core, they might not necessarily have perspective uh, to represent the issues that are happening at, in, at other facilities um, in the community and community members. Uh, community physicians might have similar challenges in representing uh, or um, being facile with the issues that are facing the core. So at this point, I believe each of the MECs was questing perhaps um, uh, a greater um, medical staff representation um, on the board. So that's sort of where we stand. Uh, okay, well, I... Everybody, I, I, I definitely have an opinion about it, so I'm happy to, to express that. Um, about a year ago, I did a research and discovered that this board that had 13 members on it was the largest public board in California. So it exceeded the City Council of Los Angeles, it exceeded the City Council of San Francisco, transit boards, et cetera, et cetera. So the size of the board was certainly uh, an issue, and I think we have found that the cooperation of the current board, because of the size, certainly has brought us um, in a much more focused direction. But that's my single perspective on that particular issue. R relative to representation, there isn't any reason, and one of the reasons that we put, we have modified the agenda so that the doctors have their report at the beginning of this board meeting without any direction about what you can talk about. You're free to say whatever you want. You can represent the hospital that you're affiliated with, or you can talk about the board and things that are missing. That, to me, is where you have your representation for your, for your specific site. The representative on the board is one vote. It's not a multiple votes. It's one vote. One vote. And while you know me well enough to know that I'm pretty vocal, 
Nevertheless, I just have one vote. Uh, and that vote, we hope, is, is advancing the organization in a collective manner. At the QPSC is also another place in which the medical staff can, in fact, bring their representative voice from their particular hospital to the QPSC. And I think you, in fact, have had the ear of the Q, uh, QPSC. The, rep, the member, the medical member on this board is designed to give the board insight, not in necessarily the specific workings of an individual hospital or the, uh, the facility itself, but rather to make certain that we are paying attention to issues of general quality, of, of accreditation, of making certain that a lay group of people have an understanding of how a hospital works. So um, that for me is my opinion, the board can certainly express that. The other concern that you have to be mindful of is it took us almost two years to modify the bylaws. To, we would have to go to the Board of Supervisors, that doesn't mean we can't, but we need to go to the Board of Supervisors to modify the bylaws once again if we are to have more than one medical person on this board. So the process in itself would in fact take some time um, and I think it does open us up to a whole lot of other things because the bylaws would in fact, the board bylaws would have to change. So any other comments from anybody else? Well. All of that is true, and I think that when the original bylaws were um, written, there's a whole thing in there about there won't there'll be the one seat for the medical staff, a representative, and then there will not be any other employees or people that work for the uh, medical center. And I think that was a supervisor's requirement. It does not say that you can't have physicians or nurses or other medical professionals who don't work for this institution who could be board members. And that might be an excellent um, thing to have on our board, more medical expert, healthcare expertise. Um, in other ways, I know a lot of you have healthcare expertise. And the other thing is that the Joint Commission person who came and did her kind of mock survey. Mock survey, thank you. Um, actually was surprised that there are no nurses on our board and that there aren't other physicians. So it, you know, and I know that um, uh, Kirk Miller um, liked the idea of having more doctors on the board. Not necessarily members of our medical staffs, but other physicians. So it, there's a lot to think about here. I just wanted to say that your point is really well taken because, uh, you know, having Barry on the board and having her, like, the information and the expertise and wisdom and insights that come in comes within a context and having, uh, having her bring so much a part of the core and what happens with the residency and things, all of those things that we get because of how the practice happens within a teaching a hospital and things. So I can understand that when, when if there's someone from a community hospital, that comes to. So I do think that the number, you know, expansion is an issue, and we hope that you know between you all, you will be able to find out that whoever the physician is, 
It could be sometimes from the core and sometimes from a community hospital, but it doesn't matter who it is, that physician rep will be able to represent the whole system, even though they might not have that. And as we said, there's a, uh, you know, a certain degree of um, time um, and other elements that go into serving on a board too and just understanding all of the, the nuances of what that involves. But totally getting that kind of percept, uh, uh, perspectives um, at the full board meeting, at QPSC, and as a seat is important, so we understand that. Is there, is there something that we could do as a board that might break the logger jam, that might help you in a process, that you could still get what you need, but we don't necessarily have to increase the size of the board? Is there, is there something else that might, that we might be involved with with you that would help us resolve your your dilemma. I think from um, from speaking from Alameda Hospital, I think what um, the medical staff feels is that there are certain issues that they are raising that they would be able to directly um, uh, raise to the board, uh, perhaps. Um, um, sometimes you could join our um, medical staff meeting so that you just get to know and feel what current issues, you know, quarterly, every six months, or some reason, you know, just so that there's some. Because from where we feel, you know, it's we're, we're still so most of our medical staff feel that we're disconnected uh -huh. from Highland. Most of the of the things that are being discussed because Highland is a big organization compared to our two small community hospitals that some of the issues that are important to us may not be important for the whole system but it is important to the physicians uh, the way we from our perspective on the way we see things that are not being addressed you know in a um, as a priority for for the whole system so do you see do you see the power of the board being that body in which can resolve those issues versus your administrative staff and your your CEOs and your CMOs and and the C-suite I think having the board understand what our concerns um, would help um, push certain things that are that you know s the members of the medical staff feel that needs to be addressed um, more. You know, can I ask? Can I? Just, oh, um, I, I think that's your role. Uh, I think if, so. As the medical, uh, as the representative from Alameda Hospital. I think that they need to come to you and give you, uh, uh, you know, a clear message to send to us at our QPSC committees and at this meeting. Or even at this meeting. Yeah, uh, and so that we can have discourse about it because we won't know. Um, I mean, I would say as a board, as a trustee, we spend a lot of time on the entire system. I don't, I don't, you know, we're drawn to problems as they come up. So when we had a crisis in PES, we spent a lot of time talking about PES and, and the options to, to, to write that. You know, when we have a budget issue, we're talking finances for the whole system. When, you know, earlier we were talking about 
access in, in ambulatory care, you can see we're, we're talking about the clinics. And so I think we're game to talking about whatever need be discussed. And I think it's really incumbent on you. So when you, when you have an issue brewing at, at the hospital, that you bring it to us very explicitly. Like I know at Alameda, we've got a problem with our contracts. I mean, that's, that's been going on and, and we're bugging David about it, you know, maybe a little less than we should and probably more than he likes. But, um, but I think that that's, that's your role. So like if there's some unresolved issue, bring it, you know, bring it in writing, bring it orally, uh, and let's, let's do it. Remember that I agree with that. I mean, it seems to me on a revenue per, faci per facility basis, we talk equally about San Leandro and Alameda as we do um, Highland. So I think it seems to me we need that and for all, all that you do. So uh, that's great. All right, so I'm going to, uh, in the interest of, of uh, this month being uh, the, the first or the beginning of our overview of the, the budget, going into uh, a greater specificity on the budget itself, um, I uh, am not, I'm not going to do any sort of uh, detail on the, uh, the dashboard like we usually do in terms of diving into any specific areas. Um, just as you normally see, these were the goals and the pillars as we established them over the year, and then this is the performance. Uh, uh, it will be loaded into board effects, so you'll see this. Uh, just a general overview by pillar, so obviously six pillars. Um, access, um, uh, improvement from last month, still some opportunity. Um, actually, just as in the past months, we're tracking the telephonic visits. We have a side project going to uh, quantify uh, which of those are actual uh, uh, clinically uh, significant visits. So our delta in terms of where we are year to date from budget is about, I can't see the number myself actually, I apologize for that, but I have it here. Um, I think it's about uh, 30,000. 27,000, thank you, Dave. Uh, 27,000 visits, but then when you look at about 55,000 uh, telephone vi telephonic visits, which all of which we don't expect to uh, count, uh, we have still the prospect that by year end we will achieve the, the uh, targeted goal of 350,000 visits for the year. So this is through April year to date. Uh, finance, we're on target, uh, both for the month and for year to date. Um, in the quality area, um, uh, mixed performance. Um, in the uh, waiver, um, the numbers went slightly down just because of the timing of when they do their updates. But as you recall, uh, we are taking this from 10 projects to nine projects. We actually got approval for that. Uh, so, so the state has allowed us to modify it. We're not changing it on the dashboard, but we're changing it in practice in terms of our focus. Uh, and uh, we anticipate that the next update will show you that uh, the performance has improved, uh, um, uh, not just in the ones that we are substituting, but in the other ones that are uh, continuing underway. So, so we expect to perform well there. Uh, um, and then uh, we're doing well on post-acute 30-day uh, readmission. We still have some challenges, we did, although we did uh, better this month on harm reduction uh, year to date, we're well above our target. Uh, uh, and then all cause readmission on the acute side, uh, we're still about two percentage points above uh, what our target is for the year. Under experience, uh, similar trend, uh, doing surprising, or I shouldn't say surprisingly, but really well in both uh, um, uh, HCAPs and CGCAPs, so acute and ambulatory, and in behavioral. Uh, Finally, got a, a, a slight tick up, and hopefully this is, um, uh, hopefully it's a sign of uh, turning the page there. 
um, to get those scores back to where we we're more accustomed to. A lot of effort happening in that space, uh, but we're well off target for the year. Um, in network, um, a great, uh, mostly good uh, in the sense that we've now achieved the target under uh, ambulatory, uh, or I'm sorry, Alameda Health Partners and physician uh, recruitment. We've exceeded it actually. We had a goal of 22 new um, providers uh, hired over the course of the year and year to date through April we've hired 24. Um, this is in addition to other contracting work and other uh, foundational work they're doing in that space, so pretty, pretty remarkable work uh, happening. Uh, home care agencies uh, contract, so this is one of our sort of value-based initiatives to establish a contract with a home health entity uh, to um, uh, look at greater access for our patients, kind of facilitating greater throughput for the organization, and uh, really building a contract, a clinical contract, not just on beds and space, but also on uh, aligning their performance with uh, goals that we have as an organization uh, and making sure that we can uh, kind of drive performance that way. So um, those, those contract negotiations have been going well and are on track to be done by the end of the year. The behavior health integration model is um, uh, slightly behind target and delayed, and this is actually a uh, sort of a carve out of one of the waiver projects that's referenced above. Uh, we've had some challenges in the denominator of patients that we are seeing in terms of uh, the, um, the um, I forget which screen it is, uh, but it's a screening for, um, uh, what is it? It's, it's, I can't think of it right now. Anyway, one of our screens, the, the baseline needs to be, for, per the uh, waiver, 30 patients and in a 30 patients, and uh, we haven't quite hit that number of patients in order to, it's the um, it's a mental health screen, uh, here, PHQ-9, I believe it is, thank you. Uh, PHQ-9 is the mental health screen, and we don't have enough patients to have a robust uh, data set uh, uh, based off of our the, the timeliness with which we got the sort of tracking uh, um, set up. So there's more work happening with uh, behavioral health and with ambulatory to uh, work on that. It's not going to impact us relative to the uh, waiver because the state allows when you don't, um, when you're actually structurally unable to meet the target, then they allow you to forego the goal and then spread that risk in terms of the financial opportunity amongst uh, some of the other programs. And so, so we don't have a fiscal risk. Uh, we do still have a risk, though, in terms of the actual number of patients in this year, and we're working on it for next year because there's a likelihood that although we're getting better, we may actually still have that same challenge. Uh, and then lastly, in workforce, uh, uh, continued improvement in, on, on the month-to-month -month basis, but we really dug ourselves in a hole in the first six months of the year in terms of recruitment days, and so very active work on the part of the labor, um, the HR team and uh, management throughout the organization to continue to drive this number down uh, in terms of the, uh, the recruitment days from close to hire. Uh, and it's moving in that direction, um, uh, but you know, still a, a bit challenging in terms of whether we'll be able to get down to uh, the target for the for the end of the year goal uh, by by the end of the year. And then ongoing efforts in both the other two goals around zero uh, tolerance, standard of conduct, uh, conduct, and uh, employee engagement. Okay. So then I'll turn from here to uh, really uh, start to zero in on the budget, which is a big part of today's discussion. Um, uh, again, apologies that you all got the uh, memo or the memo was posted last evening, uh, but uh, just a high-level recap. Um, we, our goal for setting the budget, and this was a goal that we espoused when we did the retreat with uh, the board uh, about a month ago now, was to develop a budget that sustains a level of operating performance for the organization over the period of years, uh, uh, but for fiscal year 18, uh, but that, that, that performance that will allow us to not only perform as an organization year over year, uh, but to be able to embark on some significant capital projects 
that we have on our immediate horizon, including the relocation of acute rehab uh, uh, to San Leandro Hospital, or to the San Leandro campus, and the initiation of our multi-year electronic health record, and of course a couple of others, the kitchen project at Alameda Hospital, uh, and, a, and, and a few other projects. Um, we uh, started our, our budgeting process back in the uh, early part of the year uh, with a EBITDA target, target that was driven by uh, our long-range uh, financial plan. And so, so our long-range financial plan that we completed a couple of years ago or a year or so ago uh, suggested that uh, with our, our, our debt and our capital uh, um, uh, needs that we should be striving to attain a, a uh, EBITDA target year over year of about 6%. Uh, as you know, uh, both for uh, fiscal year 16 and uh, we, our target for fiscal year 17, we expect to achieve that target. Um, so that's, that's kind of the baseline. Uh, we started it with this year. We went through a very robust, uh, very um, uh, um, uh, widespread engagement uh, budgeting process. And uh, as a result of that process, when we fully loaded all of the requests that came forward as an organization, uh, we were looking at an EBITDA target uh, uh, of a 2.6%. So we paired back, we stepped back as an organization and, and recognized that that was uh, going to be really particularly risky if we started to establish that sort of uh, performance, um, uh, not just from the perspective of, of uh, our debt obligations, but also any, any capital investments that we're embarking upon now that we will continue to need to invest in and fund and support in the out years. So uh, we believe that we needed to take a measured approach to this. We certainly don't want the uh, EBITDA target to be an overarching driver that we need to express some flexibility with those bigger things uh, down the road. Um, uh, but we do need to maintain a performance as an organization that allows us to do that, as well as uh, to invest in some of the really more pressing needs uh, year over year. So uh, the budget that we will, um, uh, we're putting some final touches on it now. We're going to up, be uploading uh, tomorrow for the Finance Committee agenda. Um, uh, is right now targeting about a, propo a proposed uh, margin or even a target uh, for fiscal year um, 18 of about 4.0%. Uh, yeah, Becca, before, before you get into the, um, and I was going to try to get you earlier, but, but you weren't available. Before you get into the, the nitty-gritty of the budget, mm -hmm. could you talk a little bit about what you perceive the role of the board is relative to to the budget, mm -hmm. to um, their role not only in support of what it is you want to do, but in setting up the priorities. How, what what do you see the board's function is relative to the budget? Thank you. Great question. Um, so, I, in my my perspective, uh, that the board's uh, function is to uh, one. It's a the the budget itself is 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 the outcome of a process. Uh, that is a process that is driven by understanding what the priorities of the organization are, both on a short-term basis, so looking at what's gonna happen over the course of one year, but also balancing that against long-term uh, uh, needs that we know of, as well as sort of uh, uh, concerns that we know are out there. So my sense is that the board's role is to uh, uh, pressure test the organization's sensibility and the leadership sensibility around balancing those priorities uh, that you know of, that we know of, um, uh, to get a sense that we have uh, applied relative due diligence to that and that we have come away from this process with 
a, a budget that will reasonably uh, be achievable for the organization. It's not a, we didn't phone this in to say, you know, we've, we've, uh, we've created a budget that's easy to achieve, nor have we over uh, projected what the organization can actually accommodate uh, uh, via our fiscal resources. So we balance revenues that we anticipate, we balance expenses that we uh, uh, anticipate uh, according to what we see happening over the course of the next year. And that you have relative confidence that that is, uh, that the, in, the net result of that is a reasonable, sustainable budget that will uh, uh, allow the organization to perform based on the imperatives both for this year and then the years to come as best we can. So, in uh, also answering your question, I'll, I'll, I will say in my opinion what I don't think is the board's, uh, uh, necessarily is the board's role is um, uh, to, to go uh, line by line with respect to things that are happening within the organization and expect to be able to kind of have the, the degree of, of um, uh, visibility into that uh, such that you could make uh, decisions around what to put in or take out of the budget without recognizing that there are sort of implications that that, that, that might uh, trigger uh, that you'd need to then understand as well. And the ability to give you, uh, to have that back and forth with you in a robust fashion over the process of even two and a half meetings is a little bit challenging. Uh, and I think it would be um, uh, probably not the best use of your time. Uh, or the organization's time, I would think, in order to achieve that. So, so I'd say feeling like you have a good sense that the organization, the leadership has listened to the organization, that we have put forth a budget that balances competing priorities, knowing that we can't possibly do everything, uh, or if we do do everything, that we put the organization at risk for long-term sustainability. Uh, uh, and that would be a problem from the board's perspective because your role, again, is to make sure that the organization as a growing concern is stable, that is responsible, that is balancing uh, competing needs, and that we're, we're doing the best we can with the resources we have. Okay, thank you. Okay. All right. Uh, keep going here. So, so right now, what we're projecting is we'll 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 uh, have a budget that has a, a bottom line target of about a four percent EBITDA margin, and I'll talk about what that means or, or get to what that uh, the implication of uh, for us. Yes, sir. Can you remind me where you expect us to end up this year? This year, you uh, just had it up there. I yeah, I think it's six, six and a half. So it's a substantial. Yes, sir. Can I, it doesn't have to be answered um, today, but I just wanted to maybe set some context since being uh, telephonically linked to the board is not particularly efficient. Mm -hmm. But um, former trustee Lugiani was nice enough to leave um, a fair amount of files <clears throat> for me to look over at the past history. And one of them was a January 2016 uh, approved strategy document um, that laid out revenue, expense growth, and an EBITDA margin. And I think the context at the time was that the health system had uh, really established a successful turnaround. And by keeping a close eye on expenses and keeping an, an EBITDA focus of 8 to 10 percent range growing to that would allow the health system to meet the capital needs and um, provide enough capital to make us a strategic force in the East Bay. And I'm looking at this document, and it, it projected, I mean, it had a hope of a 2018 EBITDA margin of 6%, 2019, 7%, 2020, 8%. And it's, it seems like with this 4% going from 1%, 2.6% now to 4 that um, we've changed um, the strategy uh, going forward with the health system. And I think we need to discuss that because um, 
you know, I'm not aware that uh, at the moment where we're facing payer headwinds, and we've had a great year, and your team has been amazing. But I think going forward, um, you know, in 2018, um, I don't think we should give up, and I think we need to talk about it next week. I, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, we and it will. So I, anyway, we don't need to go today, but it's just a context what I'm thinking. And yeah, um, I, I was lucky to to have this file to look over to at least give me some context as a new finance chair and a new trustee. So thank yes. you. No, thank you. Uh, and we will. So we'll touch on a little of that at the end when we look at both the uh, capital part of the 18 budget as well as the long range financial plan. Uh, as, but we will certainly do a deeper dive of this with the with the uh, full budget document uh, uh, and what the implications of that would be for us. So, so um, we can we can talk about that. But the, the the upshot I'll say is that I believe that that document certainly was based off of a, a principle of fully loaded expectations for all the things that we might be doing down the road, uh, which beyond an e EMR um, and, and uh, rehab uh, relocation included replacing John George, included some other. Uh, big capital items and, uh, uh, down the road, and so so what we're saying is that um, we shouldn't just be looking at the annual operating budget of an organization and sort of uh, uh, fixing that to the point that we're saying we have to live with that. Uh, we have some really strong uh, pressures and needs in the organization that it would it would almost be sort of. Um, um, inconsequential, I would say, to, to drive yourself to creating or living within that budget to do all those things down the road when if you do that, you know, performance in terms of quality, in terms of uh, staff engagement, and in terms of provider engagement, in terms of burnout and some other sorts of things, would just not actually get the organization there in a healthy way. So we end up with, you know, beautiful capital projects and, and a, maybe a great EMR, but, you know, everybody's burned out and doesn't, you know, want to work in the organization. So so we'll talk about what the implications of that are and trying to balance it, but I but I welcome your feedback and I think that's the right level of discourse around, you know, what, what are the trade-offs. Uh, for what we're trying to do and, and uh, how the board feels about what that means for the long-term viability of the organization. Yeah, it's just hard to get our minds around uh, approving a budget that, um, you know, reduces by 30% the profitability which we need just to sustain our, for our future sure. uh, at this point. So anyway, thank so, you. Thank you. Um, I'm just, well, point well taken. Okay, so principal drivers, uh, I, I, in the interest of time, I won't read all of these. They are reflected in the document, but, but I, I reaffirm commitment to our strategic plan, as we talked about in the uh, retreat. Um, uh, to, to Trustee Thompson's point, uncertainty with federal reform efforts and the likelihood of reduced reimbursement or at least a growth in reimbursement in future years. Uh, so, you know, so, something that also impacts our profitability uh, uh, and our ability to sustain the organization. Uh, conservative volume increases uh, across our business units uh, and critical must-do initiatives over the course of the year. Like I say, I should also mention um, one of the things that is also influencing this uh, is uh, we as an organization and you as a board have really conveyed to us and we've taken great steps over the course of the year to uh, expose the value of systemness for the organization and one of the uh, uh, sort of requirements and uh, um, imperatives for doing that was creating parity across the organization. Uh, so we have purposefully uh, taken steps in this year as we've gone into labor contract negotiations, uh, contract reopeners and the like to uh, do things with uh, particular uh, unions uh, to create greater parity across the organization and that obviously has uh, budgetary impact in our years as well. So, so that's something you'll see uh, when we go into detail. Um, 
This and is a recap. This isn't anything that you, you provided to us. We're just seeing the slides, right? You're seeing the overview, yeah, and then slides. It's, it's reflected in the memo that uh, is uploaded, but, but it's just done in a slide fashion, so you know. Um, and you'll get the, the, the uh, documents uh, tomorrow. Uh, so recap of critical initiatives. So this is, a, again, a slide from our, our retreat, uh, slightly modified to reflect some of the changes that were based off of your feedback in our final uh, steps of closing out the fiscal priorities. So uh, this reflects some of those critical things that are, are funded in the budget to continue um, our, our, our efforts to uh, advance the strategic plan as well as uh, revenue opportunities like the waiver, like health pack, uh, uh, for us to actually maintain the organization and get, uh, again move, move in the um, move in the direction of uh, being population health managers. Um, this was, uh, that, so that first part is by the business units. The next two slides are by um, uh, service areas, or I'm sorry, uh, support service areas. Uh, and you'll see a combination of both operating and capital things here. So uh, implementing of the EHR uh, will be both a operating and largely capitalized uh, project over the course of the year. Um, um, other things around including improving recruitment. This is all efforts that the business units will do to enable and support the uh, the, uh, um, I'm sorry, support services are due to enable and support the business unit. Uh, uh, revenue cycle uh, improvement projects and, and revenue maximization efforts. Uh, here we have relocation, as we mentioned, Al Alameda Kitchen uh, uh, project, you'll see, and then obviously some, some other sorts of things that, as are outlined. These, these three slides are, the, are almost exactly the same slides that we went through in the, in the uh, retreat a month ago. Uh, so the capital budget, um, so, so that's, th those are the components that are in, will inform the operating budget that you'll see. Just turning a little bit to the capital budget here. So same goal, right? Uh, balancing short-term as well as long-term needs. Two main components we want to point out that inform our capital needs. So there's our debt obligations and there's our capital uh, projects or our capital uh, plan. Uh, the debt obligations, this is uh, in the, in the um, uh, memo that you have obviously is two, comprised of two main things. One is our annual um, uh, reduction of our permanent agreement. Uh, so that's the, the negative net balance that goes down by $5 million every year. As you know, uh, this year we anticipate a substantial, uh, our substantial MCE cost payments in August and September that will uh, really drop down our negative net balance and gives us a lot of capital capacity um, um, to, to uh, leverage without violating the, the debt agreement. Uh, as well as in the retirement of the pension obligation bonds, which is about $58 million, I think, uh, after the end of this fiscal year, uh, which we will uh, be uh, current with. And then uh, in the next fiscal, fiscal year, that payment represents about $13.2 million. Um, so for a total of, of debt obligation of about $18 million next year. Capital plan, uh, again, so there's a combination of routine uh, capital things that happen here, routine uh, maintenance of capital assets, routine investment in IT and uh, uh, keeping those things, uh, keeping our existing IT structure going. Uh, the big pieces obviously are our electronic health record and our uh, San Landro rehab, and then the, the next one is the seismic uh, uh, project at Alameda Hospital. So over the course of 2018 right now, capital projects total about $57 million in expenditures. And then you can see how that, that plays out over the course of the next couple of years um, uh, as it sort of curtails out there. Uh, when you put all that all together and you look at the long-range capital plan, so this gets to uh, some of what uh, uh, Trustee Thompson is mentioning here. Um, 
it, the total comes up to about $73 million over the course of this year. You look at uh, certain um, things that we're thinking about with respect to how we would fund this. So with a 4% EBITDA margin uh, this year, we'd look at a free cash flow of about $40 million. Uh, we'd look at then uh, EMR fundraising efforts, which are underway and, and going, progressing uh, uh, nicely, I would say. Uh, still a bit tentative, but, but progressing nicely. Uh, other efforts uh, in which we partner with the foundation to kind of set fundraising targets of the year that will either directly support some of these long-range capital plans and or uh, offset uh, operational expenses that then will result in greater fee cash flow that, that then could also support our capital uh, ob our obligations or needs as an organization. So, so over the course of the year, you see a delta of about, uh, with, with this, if this plays out the way it is, and we're hoping that it will be a little bit more favorable, but um, 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 if it plays out the way it is, there's a shortfall of about $32 million. I'll harken back to what I said to you earlier about the, um, the negative net balance. Uh, we expect that that, as, as David has shown you forecast over the years, that, um, or I should say over the past couple of months, that when we pay off or when we get those two big infusions of cash, we're going to have significant drops. It's about 120, 130, 140, somewhere around there. Yeah, I think it's $130 million or so. Um, our, our current uh, debt is uh, somewhere around well, when we do the other part of it, I think around 155 or so. Right. Oh, using Apology to the ER, level two, ETA, eight minutes. Trauma to the ER, level two, ETA, eight minutes. But uh, after we receive these funds in August and September, uh, we actually will be um, positive for a few weeks, so positive negative. A net positive balance. And at a 4% margin, I've done the calculations, we should end the year at about a 40 million net negative balance. So, so the combination David, of do we have an update on the Alameda Alliance and their um, bridge loan? Uh, yeah, we have a meeting scheduled for next Tuesday morning where I will uh, present to the board. Uh, I, I, I gave an update in uh, one of the weekly updates that uh, we got a preliminary approval uh, uh, from them and they, they want to hear from me. Uh, the status of uh, the operating performance for the organization, uh, and I'll right. be giving that to them next Tuesday. So, David, Tuesday, we, I didn't know the date. Okay. Yes. Excuse me. If the EBITDA margin was six instead of four, where would the debt be? Twenty million. So, each percent's worth about ten million dollars per year at our level of revenue. And where where are you showing those big losses that we anticipate coming with the funding? from the feds? Um, those are um, the ones we know about are the planned expiration of the waiver. And it was like which would million be in, in Which would be in 2021. It's, it's, we don't really know what's going to happen. Our, our best estimate is maybe we'd lose $50 million. You said 80 at the supervisor meeting. Um, I think the question there was if the uh, changes are being discussed in Washington are passed. That would be about 80. I think there's a better estimate of maybe maybe 96, but who knows what's going to happen with that? I, I don't know. Um, what we're currently anticipating is that the revenue growth rate will flatten out 4%, 3%. Something may happen in 2021, or it may not. We just don't know yet. 
you know, it looks like revenues have, and, and by the good work that has been done, so I'm not discounting yeah, it, everybody, yeah. that yeah. they really have. But at, at some point, you know, you're, you get to capacity, your billing is yeah. improved, et cetera. So the revenues are not going to go up significantly. But if we look at our budget, our budget expenditures are, in fact, going up. They're not going down, they're going up, and we also have the unknown out in the world. And well, I don't think you, you go crazy in hedging against the unknown. You still need to have something sitting around. So I was looking at what's sitting around waiting for that you can use later if nothing happens. I'm not sure I understand the question. You're, you're saying do we have reserves? Or is it Money in the mattress. <laughs> so, as long as we're in the consolidated treasury for the co county, we don't have reserves as an organization. Our reserve effectively becomes um, the delta between where we're expected to be at year end in, a, in, in, uh, in the uh, permanent agreement and where we actually are in the permanent agreement. So, to David's point, right now, if, we, if, if this budget, when we get to the detail of it and you can look at everything that's in the operational plan, which we'll bring forward next week and then the subsequent week. Um, if everything goes according to plan, and this is, this is it, what the net effect of that is, the projection of about a $40 million uh, net negative balance puts us about, what, $100 million below where we're supposed to be at the end yeah, of the year. Yeah, I mean, there's a, I mean, the balance for end of next year is um, really 135. 135, so we're and at 40 million. year. So. So for the for the next year, we'd be ninety-five million dollars below where the county expects us to be and where our agreement requires that we be. Based on what percentage of expense increase? So the budget actually, and I don't have the detail here, but the the budget, I think the revenue increase is five point one percent is what we're anticipating, and then the expense increase uh, is is it? Yeah, I think it's six. Uh, so yeah, no, no. This is this is correct. This is, so a, a, a higher, a lower EBITDA margin is is driven by the fact that we're we do expect our expenses our expenses to be slightly higher than than our yeah. revenue will be for the year. Yes. But so I want you to keep that in mind because when we start to talk about then what we're doing, I mean, we could go back to there's okay. a combination of things that are going to happen over the course of the year. Uh, these, we, 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 there's, there's a need to look at parity across the organization. So when you look at the big buckets of expenses, the biggest, the biggest portion is salary. So we've done things intentionally as an organization to make sure that we can create greater systemness and we're creating that parity across the organization. One of the other things that was a really big thing that uh, uh, came up over the course of this year's negotiations with SEIU, not necessarily even in the course of the negotiations, was one of the things in our contract um, uh, that we're obligated to do as an organization is uh, provide sufficient meal and break coverage. And we discovered that there were parts of the organization, not uh, universal, but uh, several parts of the organization where we weren't reliably doing that. And so we needed to increase staffing to actually reliably cover uh, meals and, and break coverage, particularly in the nursing area. Uh, so that is also a big cause of increases in salary uh, uh, for the organization over time, driven more by 
fundamental things, um, regulatory on the non-payroll side, we have a big expense, a big increase in our uh, licensing fees for the state, and there's a couple of other things that are just, even if we did nothing else, those costs would increase as an organization. So where we have room, if we feel as an organization that, that we need to keep an EBITDA margin of 6% is all the critical must-dos. Now we think the critical must-dos, which we paired back from what was originally going to get us to 2.6% uh, to to four percent, uh, we think these things are really important for us to do to keep on our strategic plan path to get to becoming a population health manager by 2020. Um, we pair these things back and we keep the six percent, and that allows us to fund again John, a, a John George uh, facility, uh, some a couple of other things, our EMR. But we're not we're not moving in terms of our, our progression as an organization. So we we're trying to balance the two of those things. That's all we're trying to do. Uh, but if you think that we need to put more emphasis on keeping that six percent EBITDA margin, then here's where the wiggle room is. We don't we, we pull back on some of these initiatives. Maybe we need to know that because if, our, if we're not financially healthy, um, it jeopardizes everything we do. So I, I, I agree with you, but I, I beg the question, uh, and I, I think we should really think about whether a 4% margin for one year for an organization that needs to both invest in, these things are not just like one-time things that are just you know things that we do over the course of the year. They are also things that we're investing in to do things that improve our revenue, do things like... But we're not, proje we're not projecting it for one year. The budget has it out for the next three years. No, that's in the, I'm sorry, you're talking about from the capital perspective. That's because we changed it to just show you what it looks like. But what I said in the memo is that we're going to come back to you over the course of the year. So we're not, I'm sorry, this, this, the last slide here and that last thing is a capital plan. That's not the budget. So that is what, that's just reflecting you the change that we made. And we could change it to just say that's one year, it'll bounce back up. But we just did it, just extrapolate it out and show you what, what the net effect of this is. And actually what you can see is, if you look at the bottom line there, uh, we have a, we have a, a deficit uh, in 18 a deficit in 19, a deficit in 20, and you see that beginning in 20 and 21. Yeah, if we deficit. make it to 2022, we earn. That's right. If we bucks. make it, if we were not hit by a media or bus, <laughs> exactly. and, and, and we're here, uh, and, and we go along with this plan. Obviously, I think with every plan, we should recognize that the further out you get, the less certainty you have here. So, so we always, we always will be looking back at this to say what's happening in reality, uh, but, but, uh, but we're doing that uh, consistently. So what, what I put in the memo is, this, we're not changing this as a permanent thing. We can't do this without your support. What we're saying is uh, really just focusing on fiscal 18, but uh, in fiscal year 18, we're gonna come to you and say, if you know, we get greater certainty that Trump care is gonna pass, we have greater certainty on what the impact is going to be to us, and we know then what that means for all these things that we want to do, then we can start to say, what will it look like if that reality suggests that a 4% EBITDA margin is really what is more likely to be our future uh, state? And then we look at not, we don't believe, and we are not recommending, nor would I recommend, I want to be unequivocal about that, that as we look at our long-range plan, we have two big buckets, our debt obligation and our capital projects. We think that we are fine with our debt and that we could, as an organization, continue to meet our debt obligations uh, uh, to the county, both for the, uh, the permanent agreement and our pension obligation, which we expected to sunset in 2021. Where we will have to step back is not necessarily just looking at the operating budget, but our long-range capital plans and say, can we do all these things? 
And that's the thing that we might actually say we need to back up and do, do some of these in, in a different uh, proportion or not do at all. And some of that actually might actually not be, we'll do that with an eye towards making sure that we minimize community impact. And one of the big things is, you know, we, we put John George on here because that was important, and particularly at the time that we did the Long Range Financial Plan. Um, it was a combination of both the PES being oversubscribed and the inpatient facility being at capacity always. The inpatient uh, uh, a portion of the organization, to point of fact, is still at capacity. So there may still be a com compelling case to say we need more acute psychiatric beds in the, in the county, uh, and there's data to support that. On the other hand, we may say the combination of what we're doing in PES and the efforts that we partner with the county to do to keep people from having acute exacerbations, we really should invest more in those things which have a more immediate return and perhaps we can get to a point where we don't need to invest several you know, million dollars in a new facility or we find some other alternative way of providing acute uh, uh, psychiatric capacity in the county. So, so did, did, I, did I misunderstand the concept of the, the zero debt would allow us out from getting out from under the county's debt issue and being able to borrow on our own facilities through other agencies. Uh, that is true. That's not something we're, we're anticipating right now. So uh, I'll uh, go back to when we renegotiated the permanent agreement, we went to a world where, uh, with the county support, so this is all approved, uh, we were not aiming to pay the debt completely off anymore. So by 2030, historically it was going to be you were going to pay the debt down to zero. We said this relationship is an intrinsic collaboration and partnership that we should try to sustain, but we agree that we should try to minimize the burden that the, the organization's debt has on the county's uh, uh, coffers, if you will. So, so the, perma the, the permanent agreement now uh, projects that we will bring the debt down to $50 million by 2030, and that will keep it in that range. Um, um, like and that's $5 million, a $5 million reduction per $5 year? $5 million per year every year going forward. Right, which is why I don't understand how we get it down to, what did you say? Because of our big payments. So, so because we're that in the, big? Yeah, or yes. They, they are that big? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So They're that big. So like, this, it was a windfall. It's about $265 million payments. Okay. They're not, win, well, I mean, they're, they're windfall sorry. in the sense that they are true ups at the state. That we live in multiple budget years in right. the state, right? right? So the, the state is truing up. Uh, um, costs that we incurred as an organization from two prior years, and those costs, which as a, a designated public hospital, we're entitled to get the reimbursement back from, those costs are going to come in next year. And those, when those costs come in, because we owe the county, we don't, uh, we don't have a, a separate bank account. Right. It all gets swept into the county and it impacts that debt. So that's why you see when those things happen, when we have those blips. And we lose, we also by that process, lose control and we are at the county's control on those dollars. And yes so, and no, because if I could, yeah. If okay, what, 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 I can't remember the, the what our debt to the county was supposed to be next year. But if we're one, okay. next year, one thirty-five. One thirty-five. Right. If we're going to be at forty, then theoretically, yeah. that that means we have a credit line yes. between yes. one forty and, and. I mean, not that we want to spend it all because <laughs> we want to keep a low balance on your credit card. This right? is correct. But is correct. You know, to keep your score high, but. But theoretically, in the confines of the, the, the agreement, we have that ability, if, if not even necessarily driven if, by our need. If, but they by, uh, if they desire to give it here and not someplace else. 
So no, no, no. We have an agreement that we will reduce our debt by five million a year until 2030. And, and and by next year it's 135. By the year after it's 130. By the year after that it's 125. So, based on this reimbursement, if it's down at 40, even if we were to spend 30 of it, we would still have 50 million of wiggle room, it's, or it's 65 million of wiggle yes. room. It's effectively a line of credit. So. Yeah. Yeah, you, again, you, know, you can have a line of credit with a bank and, and you can pay that line of credit down faster, but when you have the line of credit for the, the, the period of time, the bank is saying, I'm guaranteeing you have access to this money if you so need it, to this, so long as you're compliant with the covenants of the agreement. So that's so why we can have a shortfall of $33 million. Yeah, that's why we can we can sensibly project or, a yeah, shortfall of our own. And it's also why if something terrible happens, like Mr. Trump, uh, there's a little wiggle room there too. Right. I mean, effectively, our our, our, our boats sail together. So, so the money sits there, or it's there at least, and available for us to collectively react to whatever's happening. I still can't believe we're getting that much from the state. I, it's just to, to bring us that far below our debt. It's just it's it's, it's like because we, we the, the payment rates that we're getting uh, for the Medi-Cal, the Alliance is low cost. And it's below what most health systems get paid. I still can't believe it. Why didn't you bring champagne to announce that when you announced it a few months ago? Like it I think sounds, we did. It sounds like here. such a big deal. But that really is paying us back for costs incurred. Right? Yes. 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 So, so we have things that go north and south all the time. Yeah. So, so we should be mindful. Don't drink champagne while I'm in New Jersey. <laughs> don't drink the water in New we Jersey. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Everything's legal in New Jersey. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Little Hamilton reference. Yeah. Yep. Um, okay. So uh, this this is the overview, ladies and gents. Uh, I hope that didn't underwhelm you. Uh, uh, but effectively, that's this is so you'll get the we'll go we'll do a much deeper dive into the operating budget because that's what's uh, that's what's at, at at play here, if you will. Uh, but the goal today was to tell you, give you the upshot of where we are, and then to uh, connect it to the capital budget to give you a sense of then what that meant, and then uh, what, what I what I didn't get from this conversation, and and I mean I'm learning more about this than than I did four years ago. But, but nevertheless, what on your high priorities, your mm -hmm. critical needs, mm -hmm. the things that you listed, mm -hmm. th there's no sense of where those are in a priority. So while I think lean is important, where does lean fall in relationship to just culture? And I don't understand in terms of the operating how you have put dollars behind lean versus dollars behind just culture. What are the percentages of your operating that, and I know you don't want us to go line by line, and I, I get that, I, I don't, I'm not interested either. But I don't have a sense at all of what are the critical things that you think are gonna move the organization forward. And um, if in fact you're setting the priorities or the board says to you, mm -hmm. and, and, and just pretend, sure. the board says to you, you can only have uh, seven of those things. Which ones are you choosing? 
So, so I would say to you that uh, when we when we went through the operational plan, so in the retreat where we talked about all the priorities and went into a very deep dive here of what those were, uh, we we expressed that we as a leadership said that you know of the I don't I don't remember the number now and I don't have this word here of 44 or 50 something projects or whatever that people put forward uh, that we couldn't possibly do all those things even if we had the resources to do it we just felt like it would tax the organization in ways that would be irresponsible of us to say, we're gonna go out and try to do all these things, especially knowing how important uh, and all-consuming our EMR is going to be for the organization. So we're trying to create enough capsules to do those sorts of things. So I would, I, I would, I, I would almost, I, I know that if I did this, I, I would offend a lot of folks, uh, but I will say to you that the, the, I think the most paramount thing for us, given how much uh, of the, uh, investment we're going to put into it and how much it's going to impact the entire organization is the electronic health record. Uh, everything else is probably 2A, B, C, D, and D, and that doesn't give you any sort of sense of like, if you told me I could do seven, I'll just tell you, we go back and we figure it out. Um, but uh, we wanted, we, we'd want to figure it out with you understanding the context that, that some of those things actually they, they will impact how quickly we get to everything else. So you'd be making the decision for us that as, as an organization, you don't think we can move as fast towards population health what? as we need to or to do some of these other things. So, so um, that would be fine, uh, but, but that would be the-, the But at, at the retreat, there wasn't a discussion of changing the EBITDA margin to such, and, the, uh, and so, you know, I worry because the expenses mm -hmm. are increasing and the revenues are not. No, that's and not true. They both are increasing. They're not increasing at the same pace, but they're both increasing. Oh, okay. You can right. split hairs here. And it, outpacing is, uh, revenue growth that's almost right. double. Expenses are outpacing the revenue growth. So For this year, that's correct. And you anticipate you're going to have greater revenue growth. And I think at some point you... Part of part of well, the biggest part thing of the, causing that is the, the electronic health record, right? What's that? It is the biggest reason that the expenses are going to no, uh, no, 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 no. That's a no. capital expenditure. Correct. I'm sorry. My there's bad. only right. there's only a small portion of the EHR that's actually going into uh, the operation load cost. So that no, that's not it. The biggest cost increase is labor. Right. Mm. So you, if I create parity across the organization, and I have all these people, and then we can't do the work. It, that's the balancing act we have to do. So uh, I, yeah, I really yeah. understand it. Uh, the the ambulatory, and we just had the conversation of the importance of it. Yes. Uh, and and where, where? So I'll give you an example of that one, actually, because okay. I, I understand. And that where does that fall in this? And so, so it's there. You see, uh, an ambulatory implement PCMH model okay. Okay. pilot site. So okay. what that is is, and I'll tell you how the budget process went for that. So we had an assessment. The ambulatory team came forward with a budget proposal saying. Here's, we, we as an organization want to move to a patient-centered medical home staffing model. So having not just a physician lead, but the, uh, the, um, so the care manager, the, the, the uh, MAs, and the whole and the RN team that's really going to cover patients. So, so we have an assessment of like how many people we need to do that across the organization, particularly for the list, uh, the, the totality of the capitated lives that we have. That number was it like 90-something new positions for just that portion of the organization to do just that one project, right? So we said, 
that's not that's impossible. We if we did that, that's going to marshal so much of the organization's resources. And quite honestly, it's not all going to happen on day one. And we don't even know whether we we we're still working on what our uh, our um, delivery model is in ambulatory. So we expect to get our conifer patient stratification soon, and we're going to so who's low risk, who's moderate risk, who's high risk. We shouldn't actually be staffing our PCMHs to put every single patient in a patient-centered medical home. Because right. those low risk patients right. don't need right. that level of intensity. Right. intensity. Right. So we said to the group, understand that down the road, we're going to get greater clarity on what this needs to be. But first, we need to make sure we can do this and get it right. So we're going to take your budget and say, all this other stuff goes on hold. We're going to staff you enough to do that portion of what you need to do so that we can understand that we, we can actually do this and get it right. We have to, in ambulatory, do a couple of other things anyway. Prime and the waiver is a really big portion of what we need to do, um, uh, other parts of the waiver and just culture. So we are going to fund those sorts of things. And let's step back and say, if we're performing well as an organization and we get all those things done, then we know what's coming down the road. And we need to prepare ourselves for that. But to fund it all right now, would be somewhat foolhardy because even if I funded it, I'd be probably sitting before you in January saying, "Now we've turned, you know, four or, or three of the nine primary care clinics into patient-centered medical homes. Well, we're having a hard time recruiting these people, and you know, we've got to get them into training and all these other sorts of things that are natural operational challenges. So we're just trying to balance all of that. On that note, if I could, please, no. just just not to get granular, but before you joined us, mm -hmm. we were in QPSC. We were talking about. The access, and I just pulled mm -hmm. up that report and the, and the, the wait times. Um, thank God I've got good lungs. Um, right, pulmonary, two, two years. But no, but seriously, uh, as far as access to primary care, you know, we heard that we will have a primary care physician waiting an hour to see a patient because they don't have the clerical support to process those patients through. Mm -hmm. Is that sort of thing being focused on, but yes. you know, you're not going to put 90 new positions. So not in this. So that's, that's in not the PC. that's not PC. that's in the waiver part of MHS part of the, the waiver, waiver is the okay. primary care redesign. Right. Okay. So there's efforts there across all of our ambulatory sites to look at patient throughput and to redesign the staffing structure. That doesn't always or necessarily mean that we need new staffing in that area. We need new workflows and we need new sort of uh, ways enough. of operating. But it's a, it, it's a combination. So I that doesn't fall under PCMH? No, the PC, well, it, it's, it, it contributes to it, but just for that one site for this year. Well, that was my question because you actually have, in your memo, you have um, deliver on waiver targets and restructure ambulatory to PCMH model. And, and under there is invest in key support areas to enable data capture and reporting for advancing waiver efforts. So mm -hmm. are you talking about a, a additional or expansion of a waiver effort, or is that the same thing as the... Um, no, it's, it's the, that. Mm -hmm. Okay, it so, and that would be labor. And my question about that was similar to, to Joe's. And in, in addition, whether it's a, a good investment to... Oh, I'd just like to hear more, because I'm not sure, given the uncertainty, of, um, of the waiver, whether it's a good investment right now. So there's, there's, let me clarify, there's no, there's little uncertainty about, about the waiver. About. The uncertainty is about Medi-Cal funding overall, right. right? So moving to per capita cap or, or block grants uh, and the rollback of the enhanced, re or the enhanced payment for the expansion population. So that happens, which is a part of the budget uh, and actually in the one that passed, Initially, it was that that was going to take place in 2020, and they pushed it up to 2018. Uh, that could jeopardize if anyone who is on Medi-Q 
Cal now, who's expanded, has a lapse in their coverage, they will fall back to, for right now we get 95, well actually it's 95% uh, now for the next year on the dollar, uh, it's from the federal government, 5% from the state, which is effectively us. Uh, it would go back, it would drop down to 50-50, so you'd only get 50% from the government. So, so, so the point is, yeah, your, your point is, if we were to like robustly go out and create PCMH models for, for everyone and not be concerned about the waiver itself being a, uh, at risk in terms of our supplemental <coughs> reimbursement, but then the reimbursement for that model might actually be oversubscribed. But we don't know that that's gonna happen yet. And this is a more measured approach to trying to get there, not just because of that, but because of operationally, it's just, this is not gonna be something we can turn on a dime and do it. Can I go back to something you said about the EHR? Because I think it's critical that that be the primary focus going forward. And I know there are a couple of factors that also drive some of the, the revenues when you're doing this EHR implementation, including the reduction in productivity that has to really be factored in, whether mm -hmm. that's over a six to 10 week period, mm -hmm. you're gonna start seeing that drop off in the clinics. And if you start dropping more staff into that, and new staff into that, isn't that gonna complicate things even further? Uh, could potentially, but next year, so, so in terms of sequence, um, we we won't be install, implementing the EHR over the course of the FY18. We'll be doing the build and the, the, the design. We'll be first finishing the contracting and then coming to the board for approval. But then we'll do the uh, the build and the design of the EMR. That'll be a large part of the activities over the course of next year. But to your point, which is uh, the right point, sort of uh, um, uh, in terms of expectations. Uh, uh, we're actually talking to both of the vendors that we're uh, still considering uh, have heard that increasingly uh, with their own sophistication and kind of uh, experiences in this way, uh, organizations are experiencing a little less uh, than what historically they experienced, but that's on an organization by organization basis. I say in our case, one thing that works, potentially works to our advantage is that we well, at least in a big portion of the organization just did an EMR conversion. So we're not starting from zero mm -hmm. to go to that, uh, which is like I was in LA, we were going from paper to, to EMR, which is like very uh, uh, um, uh, confusing and, and discombobulating for the organization. I think we'll have some of that, but I don't know how much. And um, and I'm hopefully a lot less, uh, and it won't happen over the course of the next episode. What's These are great questions, by the way. What's RBO status? Uh, Risk-bearing organization status. So that's a part of us being able to take capitation. Apologies for the acronym. Uh, as a part of uh, being being uh, stuff. So changing our reimbursement model. Any other questions on the part of the board? No. Okay. Um, I again, this was very very high level so I can I, I can imagine if I were in your seat oh I want to you know really still continue to dig into this and have more detail please know that you will get a lot of that next week and uh, for those of you who can attend finance uh, I think there's uh, some logistics we'll work around that but but we'd love for you to be there to kind of participate in that dialogue uh, or at least uh, hear it and uh, and then we will be doing a deeper dive uh, in the uh, the, gen or the first June uh, meeting uh, as a uh, as a follow-on to that discussion as well. Did you want to say something about that? You didn't? The June 4th meeting? Is that your intention? The June, yes. Is that the board meeting? Mm -hmm. the, no, the it's, 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 it's the 8th. June 1st. No, wait. No, June 1st, no. finance. Oh, next board, sorry. And then the passage 
has to be by the so that it'll be an action item at the last meeting. Of June. So it'll be June 30th. June, no, it's oh, June, June 20th. I mean, the passage, it needs to be passed by June 30th. Yeah. Yes. The, so what uh, do you have in mind? You want to do so a special meeting? So what are the things, I want to ask the board, what are the things that you would like to make, when you've seen this high level, what are the things that you would like to make certain you get answered? Not necessarily at finance, because I think I think they're going to go into that. But at a policy board level, what are the questions that you need him to address and bring to you at the uh, meeting on the eighth? Do you want to know right now? Huh? You want to know right now? Well, you can tell me now, or you can okay? I want to know. I'll tell you. I want to know. Um, we've heard several times that there's a primary care um, clinic that's that through AHP and through AHS that will be established at Mariner Square, I believe. I mean, it, it was kind of advanced pretty far, and so I want to know how this budget affects that. Yes, I'll tell you. Okay. To, not to be at a line item level or anything. But no, I'm happy to share. Well, I mean, it's going to be a yes or no at some point, right? <laughs> yes. Well, it's been a yes till this point, so yeah. I want to know. Correct. Things she wants to know if it turned to. I'm not sure it's been a yes till this point. Uh, in 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 uh, trust. No, we we as an organization moved forward with the effort to try to recruit um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, this role um, in in uh, response to the challenge that uh, fell upon us when the provider stepped down in Alameda over the course of this. Oh, year. the Alameda. Yeah, that's definitely a yes. I voted for it. Yeah. I thought you meant the budget. No, no, no. She was talking about no, not the budget yet. Yeah. And um, to that, sorry, sorry to that, about that. It's not a great. Okay, one. I'll beat you I'll up later. I'll bring my Kevlar Anthony. vest for next Thursday's meeting for me. But, um, <laughs> they have them but, there. But, you know, to that, to that um, point as well. I'd also like to hear a little bit more about investment in AHP in our budget. Yes. I mean, how, 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 what we are investing and mm -hmm. how it, you expect it to. Um, be reflected in revenue or in our performance in the future. Mr. Cox is reporting on that on uh, on finance committee, I believe. I'll be there. Great. Okay. I'd like to hear about a little bit more about the compensation standards that uh, I feel like some of the other things we discussed at the retreat uh -huh. quite a bit, but that one if we could get a little bit more detail. On that. So that's specific to HP, but we, we oh, have okay. to do that. Okay. Yeah. So so we can, but. Are you interested still or not really? Oh, no. I, I, okay, go on. Okay, yeah, go on. Yeah. Well, glad, glad to give you an update. Okay. And the scope and the cost of the lean program? Yes. Okay. I, I want to just make sure, I mean, on a kind of more global level, if there's any any service that we're cutting, any 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 program where you're expecting to any vast reductions that might cause um, kerfuffle, uh, to, to put it nicely. It'd be, it'd be great to have a warning about that. Kind of like what just last year didn't happen. The year before, it happened a bunch. And, and you weren't here as a different administration. But it would be great to just kind of know what, what might have some people's feathers really ruffled mm -hmm. and uh, that might cause people to go you know, outside of our chain to, to, to lobby or, or create pressure. And, and just to be good to know, because that way, if we're well educated on it, we can. We want to be able to support whatever it is that you're doing by making sure we understand it first. Does and that make sense? Yeah. Potential okay. negative impacts. Yeah. Of yeah. Implementation. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have one more thing. Uh, in your memo, you talk about continued progression of strategic direction for managed care population health. 
which you've discussed here, but um, number one under there is invest and restructure our care coordination infrastructure to improve throughput. And I, I'm, um, is this the ambulatory care model? No, no, that's about the care management. Uh, well then, um, I'd like to hear more about that, especially how Alameda and San Leandro hospitals fit into that. Got it. Um, I'm interested in revenue cycle and how it's gotten better. And what I mean by that is just kind of our clinical services and capturing the billing and getting the bills out the door and getting the money back in. I, I It may not be part of the budget process. I don't know if that's the right. It, 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 it is as one of our, uh, well, it's one of our it's dishes going of forward. But we could also, I mean, this is a continuation of bills of of areas where we've had success and areas where we continue to uh, right. I mean, it's obviously part of the budget, but I don't know if in the budget discussion is when is a good time to report about it, but I would like to oh, know about how so that's yeah. going. Okay, all right. Yeah. Well, thank you for that flexibility. We will we'll, we'll, uh, attempt to give you some status, but if, it, if you want something deeper, then we can schedule a different time to do that. This well, is I, helpful. I guess it would be interesting to hear how that's impacted this budget, though, in terms of the revenue. <laughs> Yes. How, how that drove a percentage of increase in the revenues okay. for this budget as part of the budget assumption. It, it, it's the logic in which you're using that I'd like to hear. As an example, when I talked about the um, ambulatory model, you explained that very well. And I, I get where you are, and it satisfies me that it's, you've got a, you guys went through a process to think. Okay. Um, when I just see the things up there without uh, and at the retreat, we talked. We talked some about it, but some, some. Yeah. But there weren't dollars put behind. There wasn't an emphasis. This is this is a bulk of dollars we're going to put aside to do X, Y, and Z. Right. Uh, um, it's it's the rationale that I'm interested in in the process and how you make the decision to do what. It's it's not my job to say you ought to put more money here or more money there, but it's my job to make certain that that there is a process and a rationale for the decision that you made. That, that's what I think my obligation is. Okay. We will, we will attempt to, to Anything else give for you that. Okay. Well, I, I agree, and I, that makes me think of, uh, you know, as I talked about the initiative that I was expecting, which was the um, primary care model, and I also it, wanted to know, and I haven't heard about it, but it could be in here under, um, under excellence initiatives, including lean, what about the magnet initiative? Ah, so uh, what I reported at the board meeting um, uh, was that what we've decided is that um, magnet is, is you were going to put it on hold. It's, it's in abeyance, if you will. It's not. Okay. We're not stopping magnet right now, but we're we're doing a deeper dive to make sure that that makes sense in the context of everything else we're doing. Uh, uh, and so um, we, in our budget, Magnet is funded as, as a continuation. We made no adjustment uh, to, to Magnet at this, at this point, uh, but there is a placeholder uh, uh, that's virtual right now. Uh, there, there's a prospect that if we reach the point where we decide that it's either a bridge too far in terms of the actual initiative itself, but that the sub-components of it are things that we need to continue to do, uh, that might have a budgetary impact, a favorable one if you look at it from the spectrum of cost savings. Right. Um, um, but 
right now in the budget it's funded. Um, is it a, I mean, I'm just, is it, it would be a savings if it were not funded and it is a long-term initiative, right? So correct. it would be a savings over more than one year or two years or? Yeah, but I mean, it, it effectively, yeah, it would be something that. that I just have no idea of the magnitude of it. So, so it's about, right now, in terms of the rent, well, this is one I know because we've talked about it so much recently, it's about a million dollar uh, uh, annual investment. Uh, um, um, but, you know, in a so billion dollar like budget, it doesn't seem like, like it's like pretty yeah. substantial, but, you know, it's still, you know, right. from a resource and bandwidth perspective, it's a right conversation to be having because. We don't want to make commitments and at least be hanging a single out saying we're doing something if it's point right. in fact not actually mm -hmm. moving. Well, we could maybe hear about that at HR too about you know the cost associated cost with sure. all of these things, magnet lean, just culture. You know. We just have a we have to have an I mean by law we've got an approval of a budget so we've got to make certain right, right, right. that when you guys give so your your up or down <laughs> no when you give an up or down we need to make certain that that two years from now when something goes crazy we can stand behind the decision that we made so that's an important piece and yeah. why it's important for a board to to stress the, the group and where they are so Absolutely. And, and might I just offer too? I know uh, uh, we 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 have to be careful about doing this on a on a uh, on a uh, sort of compliant basis. But when you see the document, I mean, obviously there's a richness of the discussion uh, for the entirety of the board, and we will have that discussion. But if there are specific questions that you want to just kind of get resolved or, or have, don't hesitate to reach out to me directly. And if it's a quick answer, I'll provide it to you. And it's something that we think everyone else needs to know, then we'll bring it to this context as well. Okay. Right. But just I don't I wanna I don't want you all to think that the only opportunities to really get comfortable with this is the you know the confounds of our, our meeting time. Well to your point, Michelle, and, and my last question, I mean if you can quantify and, and one of the reasons I asked about um, about magnet and thanks for giving me the cost. Also these other initiatives the the PCMH and um, the ambulatory VP and um, the the recruiting selected specialty, etc. Can you just give us an idea? And these are things that we would be asked about from from other um, reps or other staff. How much are what's what's what are we going to spend this year and in future years on these new positions to support these initiatives? Um, I, I, I will. I think what we can do, I'll take a stab at uh, I don't putting, want to know line by line, but just in yeah, general. Yeah, I'll, I'll, that's what I was going to say. I'll take yeah. a stab at putting uh, uh, sort of um, either costs or, or you know, expenses or expenses and revenues where appropriate uh, uh, to a couple of the priorities. I mean, they were presented to us as, as plans, uh, so they have a performer associated with them. So we can we can share that, uh, but I'll do it in sort of big buckets, right, if right, you will, right. on specific things, uh, but not like a line by line thing, or like you know, lean and here are all the items that are yeah. saying items that only thing FTEs associated with it, non payroll right. costs and things like that. No, but like, no. That would just well, be a high level assumption. Right. Yeah. 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 What I'll, what I'll say is, in, in some cases, some of them will be incremental costs because some of them are not just standalone initiatives. So they may be baked within the organization, uh, uh, how we're using resources, but we're adding costs to focus on a specific thing that we're doing over the course of a next year. So, like, you know, saying PCMH uh, a pilot, I will give you an incremental cost that's associated with this, but 
important point of fact that it'll be using some of the stuff that's already there. It's just the additional stuff that's going along with it. So you don't think that's the cost of the program itself. That would just be what we're doing and adding additional to it. So, so but we can do that. Thanks. Okay. Okay, I'm going to move the agenda uh, forward and we're just a little off our target time. Um, David? Um, so um, <clears throat> we're going to be reporting a very favorable result for April on a couple of uh, one-time revenue pickups. Uh, I'll go into much more detail uh, next week in this committee. What were the revenue pickups? Uh, one is the uh, addendum we signed with uh, HealthPath for an additional $23 million this year. We're booking half of that between now and June. Uh, the other was a reconciliation going back to 2014 for the uh, BHCS payments to John George, and that which was resolved in our favor, $4 million, and we booked it all in April. And it came with a check. We can add it to the 5000 yeah. Okay, so encourage the board if anybody would like to come to that meeting on the finance meeting on the 1st. Speaking of signing contracts, um, how, how are things going for Alameda Hospital? I know you. Uh, I, um, no, you they're they're going extremely well on two contracts, Blue Shield and Aetna. We're going through the prevention process. Everything's down there, just completing uh, a few last-minute details. We expect wow. to sign next week. We've heard nothing from Anthem. We've called them and called them and called them. They're and just, United is still outstanding, too? No, no, we had a contract on that. Okay, so the only outstanding is Anthem. Anthem. We have Cigna, United, Aetna is working, and um, Bushu. So Those were the four that were having yeah. the long-term right. ones. Obviously, there were others uh, that, that happened early on that were yeah. uh, uh, much easier, including right. Kaiser. Right, but those were uh, but those were the four is the major. Yeah, and not to, yeah, so let me ask this. Anthem's not answering the phone. Um, They're answering the phone. They're just saying it's not that. It's not responsive. Well, that's not answering the phone, as far as I'm concerned. It's that unreturned text. It doesn't, yeah. It's, it's that Facebook friend request. It's nothing. <laughs> so at what point is it not a negotiation? And, and like, I mean, again, and correct my, forgive my ignorance, but it seems like we have a major insurance company unwilling to enter into a contract with us so that we can provide services to their patients and get them reimbursed. Right. When is this something that the insurance commissioner should care about as if, like, I, I just, am I, am they, I wrong to they think meet that? the requirement. They have plenty of providers in this local so area. So it just doesn't matter. It, it wouldn't be something that, that from a uh, sort of a core uh, compliance perspective would, would present an issue. It's, it's business. So, darn your so tell me another strategy to, yeah. to, to cause if, a kerfuffle, if, to get if people we paying attention. a primary care network in that community, uh -huh. and they said to the plan, we have to have this hospital, we would have a contract. We don't have a primary care network. Okay. But we are going to, hopefully. Right? So you're saying, <laughs> <laughs> interesting. I don't know. Exactly. Gary, do you have any suggestions? It, it, yeah. Right here since I used to work for Anthem. Uh, I'll disclose that. Um, you're right. I mean, you know, they, they look at, at our network and they say, we don't really need that network. We really have other providers and therefore, you know, for us this is not really a priority. Um, if we had more primary care, of course, they'd always stand up and take notice because then they're always concerned that you'll be able to, you know, build them out of network for all of that. And also, they get more pressure from their patients. Patients will very much pressure the plans into contracting if there are enough of them. 
They may listen to that. So there may not be enough patients. But we're getting pressure from the people of Alameda. And if those people are anthem patients, are we should we but just be telling? But not necessarily about anthem. They were so we've made we've made these new right. these new things. So okay, I mean very vocal, honestly, a handful. Okay, sorry, I just I know. yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Some we've done everything we can do. Okay, all right, fair enough. Uh, Thank you. Order. Sorry. On order. Order. Uh, David, was there anything else? No. Okay, then I'm going to go to our chief information officer. The other day. Yes. So to continue our process of the decision-making model, we are uh, following the plan we put in place to uh, and had our epic demos uh, two weeks ago, and then earlier this week, um, Evecchio, myself, uh, Dr. Jamaldeen, Dr. English, and David Cox um, met with Cerner and Epic at their corporate headquarters to discuss uh, the partnerships and meet with them more closely around that process and what it would be like. Uh, it was a bit like speed dating to get married, uh, right? Because this is a very long-term decision, and we had one day with them. Uh, but it was—they were very good meetings to meet with them and talk about uh, what the partnership would look like and how we'd be working together and how they would help ensure our success in this endeavor. Uh, because it's a very large investment, and, and we're kind of you know, betting the business on this process that will that'll be successful. So very good meetings for that. Um, more information to come at the uh, finance meeting next week on where we're at in the, in the process. Uh, and then coming back at the uh, full more, a more full review of all the data from all the RFP processes, from all the demos, will happen in the mid-June, and then back at the June 22nd board meeting to share uh, what the decision has been made on, on a, a lead vendor in that process. Remember, because we won't, it won't be finalized until we bring back to you a proposed contract, which I expect later, much later in the year. Okay. Uh, in relationship to the demos, has there been opportunity for uh, staff to do hands-on touch? The I, I mentioned before that during the demo process, there was a room that was set aside for. Okay. Uh, are, they, are they using that? Meet one on. Well, it was during the demo it process. The demo. It was a one-on-one -on -one process. Reading. They can go in and meet with a question, oh. ask questions of the specific experts during that process. Great. Good. So, from a hands-on perspective, no, they don't get to sit down and do whatever they want with the system but they had the opportunity to meet with them and get more questions answered and see the system in more detail for their specific questions beyond the demo process. Okay. And it was very well, a lot of participation in the, in the, um, I think we called it the uh, solution gallery, so that they could go see, see the specific expert on their pro on the product they were interested in. Okay. Where was the solution gallery? It was in the, uh, one of the rooms at the Alameda Alliance, mm -hmm. where all the demos were done. Oh, oh they're all, all done there. All done at the Alameda Alliance. Doctors, are you getting a sense that people are participating in this thing and Absolutely. they understand what's going yeah. on? Okay. I can share, for the EPIC demos, we had over 500 people participate. Uh, wow. Similarly, for the Cerner demos, we had over 500 participate and provide over 1,000 different scoring sheets back to us on their experience oh, with pros and cons to Great. each one of the things they saw. We canceled, we canceled. We, we moved oh, yeah. We moved MEC so we could, because it was scheduled during the uh, the EPIC demo. So we and and David English reported that both of them were impressed at the amount of people that were involved in it. Well, that's great. Good, and good, good. good. Okay, all, thank you. Uh, moving to item G, information reports. You have uh, Terry Lightfoot, who has our public affairs information written and our government strategy. Uh, any information to add? If not, the board is going to adjourn into closed session, conference with labor negotiator um, under government code 54957. Um, so we will adjourn to closed session. Oh, and potential litigation. Thank you very much, 54957.